Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk, ICRT's weekly interview series, bringing you conversations from and about Taiwan. I'm Keith Manconi. Ride-hailing app Uber broke onto the Taiwan scene in 2013, offering passengers an alternative to the yellow cab industry and offering just about anyone with a car the chance to become a driver and make a buck. But like in many other countries around the world, the arrival of Uber has met with controversy here in Taiwan and extreme opposition from the government. Taiwan's regulators maintain that the company is operating illegally as a transportation service when its license only allows it to operate as an information service provider. And while the government has stopped short of shutting Uber down completely, it has slapped the company and its drivers with millions of NT in fines. Upping the stakes even further, just this past week, a legislative committee moved forward with an amendment that, if passed, would increase the maximum fines to 25 million NT for a single breach. So, you know, we're kind of left in this weird limbo state. I mean, despite the fines, the government more or less is tolerating Uber's presence. Uber, for their part, they're sucking up the fines and continuing to operate. And riders and drivers are continuing to download the app and, uh, by all accounts, enjoy the service quite a bit. Weird situation. To get some perspective on the path going forward and where Uber's place is in Taiwan, I recently made a trip over to Uber Taiwan's headquarters in Taipei to speak with their general manager, Li Kai-gu. Here's that conversation. Li Kai-gu, thanks for speaking with me. Hey, Keith. Good to be here. All right. So I think uh, for some of those big questions, we can kind of just put a pin in that for a second, hold off, and instead uh, look at the big news of the last week or so. Obviously, uh, a little bit of a setback. Uh, the the increase in fines hasn't passed 100% yet, but it's clearly moving forward. Uh, let's just start with your reaction to that, uh, you know, seeing that in the past week or so. Yeah, I'd say, Keith, I think generally we are pretty disappointed in the fact that it has passed the first reading. Um, I think Taiwan has continually, you know, prided itself in being an innovative country and uh, continuously strive to become, you know, what's so-called the Asia Silicon Valley. And I think, you know, in this move to actually really limit uh, a service like Uber uh, to its citizens, um, as well as it, the potential would-be drivers in Taiwan, I think it's, it's a step backward. And I, we hope that, you know, the, the legislators and the general people uh, will continue to make more rational decisions around uh, how to actually regulate services, uh, ride-sharing services like Uber, and make Taiwan continue to be a, an environment that's actually very welcoming to new technology and innovation. Mm. All right. Well, let's let's kind of think about uh, some of those deeper questions now and talk about getting away from the regulatory tussle, getting away from uh, even thinking of this in terms of a legal dispute. Let's just think of this in terms of what is Uber bringing to Taiwan? What what how does it actually affect the lives of the people here uh, and the way that people's jobs work? Um, so uh, obviously there's the, the ride-sharing service. There's also this uh, year you came out with Uber Eats, which uh, helps uh, connect restaurants with folks that are hungry and uh, can you know, deliver food to uh, customers. Uh, so why does Taiwan need that? What, what, what was there missing in the Taiwan uh, industry that uh, you're feeling? 
Yeah, I think as a Taiwanese, um, back three years ago when Uber decided to enter the Taiwan market and I hadn't been working at Uber yet, you know, just as a, as a Taiwanese citizen, I was super excited about the fact that a company like Uber, which at the time was still not as big, um, decided to make Taiwan as one of its early priority markets. Uh, at the time, I think Uber had only one other uh, country in Asia, which was Singapore. And typically, I think we see you know bigger U- U.S. technology companies uh, take a little bit of time before they actually decide to enter the Taiwanese market. So I think to me, it was a win for for Taiwan as a whole because it felt it one. I think it meant that you know U.S. technology or global technology companies were uh, valuing Taiwan as a market. Um, two, you know, they felt like it was an environment that was good to operate in. It was an environment that people would embrace technology. And three, uh, you know, the, the citizens of Taiwan, of, of Taiwan would be able to enjoy, you know, the newest and best services, which was not always possible, right? We've seen, you know, cases where, you know, in the past, for instance, the new iPhone releases uh, would come to Taiwan at a third or fourth priority. And I think the Taiwanese people actually want to get an, into the edge and the forefront of, of overall technology. So, so to me, it was, it was really exciting uh, when Uber decided to launch in Taiwan. But uh, kind of getting back to how does this change, you know, how people find rides or how people find work. I mean, I'm somebody who rides a cab to work every day because uh, my shift starts at 5 a.m. and there's no buses. So every day I'm taking a cab. Um, I have never once really had any issue finding a cab. Uh, it's, it, Taipei is kind of famous for how many cabs it has and, and, and the, the glut of cabs that it has. So, you know, you, you never wait for more than five minutes or so to find a cab. Generally, they're pretty friendly. Generally, uh, you get where you need to go without too much hassle. Uh, so the question could be asked, I mean, why do we need uh, this disruptive uh, new innovation to come to the local transportation industry? Yeah, I'd say I think for for the first part, you look at it from two sides, right? One is from the rider side and the other one's from the driver side. So I think to your point on the rider side, I think Taipei is a city that actually, actually typically has been quite friendly in terms of transportation options. There's a lot of different options, whether it be taxis, whether it be MRT, whether it be buses, or you can even walk to a lot of places. Um, and I think what Uber strives to be is actually just an additional choice for consumers, right? We want to to have consumers have the power to be able to choose in certain cases they would like to use Uber in certain other cases they like to use public transportation and you know having that choice is something very powerful and I think one thing that a lot of us living in Taipei often forget is that Taipei you know although has really strong transportation network um, there's a lot of cities in Taiwan who actually don't um, when we launched for instance in Taichung and Kaohsiung um, two cities Taichung does not have a, a MRT system uh, Kaohsiung does but um, when we launched in those two cities, we saw growth in those cities actually uh, be much, much faster than Taipei at the same juncture of their growth. And I think the reason is because there are other places in Taiwan that actually require more transportation options. So in cities where you know, people are forced to either ride their own scooters or drive their own cars, um, all of a sudden having the option of not having to do that, not having to go buy a car or rent a car or, or buy a scooter um, becomes very powerful for people in, in the way they move about their cities. Um, so I think that is actually you know, quite a, a difference in terms of the rider choice component. And I think on the other side, um, it's really about kind of the options for the drivers, right? So to a similar extent that riders need more options, I think drivers need more options. So uh, when people in, in a in an economy where people are striving to in, in, continually increase their income, so looking for additional income opportunities, feeling like uh, the overall economic growth is not strong enough, um, people who want to actually drive in their spare time 
actually want more options. So having that additional options, uh, you know, one thing is that a lot of our uh, Uber drivers on the current platform actually drive under 10 hours a week. So they're really driving in their additional spare time. So having that option to be able to utilize an asset that they purchased before, um, a vehicle, turn it from something that actually caused them more bills and more payments and turn it into something that actually gives them additional income is, is very powerful for economic growth as well. Now, I guess the next question, though, would be, uh, I mean, I think a lot of the people that I know see the value of Uber, a lot of people talk about how they love the fact that you can uh, rate a driver and so you can know a little bit more about the driver that you're going to drive with. So uh, clearly there's, there's aspects of the service that people are really enjoying and really picking up on. Uh, but the question then becomes, why does it need to be Uber? Why couldn't a local industry pick up the slack? Uh, in fact, I think that that's kind of the, the strategy that regulators seem to be taking right now. They've uh, called for what they're calling a diversified taxi program next year that would uh, create room for new companies that are based uh, exclusively on a calling or apping sort of model rather than you know getting flagged down on the street. And they're trying to make a space for this sort of similar to Uber kind of services to sprout up uh, among the local taxi industry. And so, you know, if, if Uber can't if, if the government can't find a way to make Uber fit into its regulatory uh, framework, is it really so unreasonable for it to look for, you know, a local industry to take that place instead, and it would still get all the benefits that you're talking about right there? Yeah, I think overall having multiple entrants um, in a market we've seen, uh, you know, and across the globe, there are many, many industries and markets that um, there are multiple players, including ourselves in the market. I think generally, we've seen that actually benefits overall competition. So, you know, that's some, that's certainly something that we're not uh, against. I think overall, the way Uber kind of sees the, the, the way this industry should be regulated is um, that we have three major principles that we feel like really should be protected. The first one is consumer choice, which is what we just talked about. Consumers should be able to have a wide range of choices in terms of the transportation services, whether it be price, level of service, um, type of vehicle, et cetera, et cetera. So consumer choice is, a, is, is something that is very near and dear to our heart. The second one is, is the overall safety for both the passenger and the rider. Or sorry, the passenger and the driver. So we want to make sure that through the use of different screening screening uh, processes as well as technology, we're able to ensure the safety and actually protect the safety of both the rider and the driver. And I think the third one is actually something that often people overlook, which is actually the driver's rights. Right. So as as someone who actually wants to drive um, and spend their extra time driving. Uh, for a living or spend their time driving to earn additional income, um, we really like to have regulations that protect their interests. And I think as long as you're able to abide by those three kind of principles, then I think it doesn't matter if it's a local player or a foreign player coming into the market. I think that can benefit both the riders and drivers alike. Okay, so let's uh, back up and now discuss a little bit more the impasse that you have found yourself in with Taiwan's government. Um, if uh, we kind of look for a little bit more context, of course, Uber has uh, had to deal with governments around the world uh, as, as it's broken into this country or that country. Uh, and in Asia, uh, there are a couple of examples where Uber has made a little bit more headway, figuring out a way to work with the government and find regulations that work. Uh, two examples that I've seen flagged would be Singapore and the Philippines. Uh, so let's just start by getting your perspective on why it's been more difficult in the Taiwan case. You know, I would say um, I think one is the fact that there have been other entrants in their in the other markets. So I think the government is more able to clearly kind of see 
the overall as an uh, overall development as an industry. But I think you know one thing that we've learned actually um, just being in Taiwan for three years is that actually there's a lot of Taiwanese startups that are, are in you know similar types of spaces, not necessarily the exact same business model as, as Uber. But um, you know, for instance, there are companies that are doing scooter uh, ride sharing as well. There are, are companies using scooters doing um, sharing of courier services. So I think there are actually a lot of other players within the industry that are actually trying to um, make the sharing economy continue to be a thing in Taiwan. And I think that's in itself is something that um, you know the government should be thinking more clearly about. And I think. Uh, you know, to your point about you know governments like Singapore, the Philippines, uh, Australia, uh, parts of India. You know, generally speaking, if you look at uh, ride sharing, is something that did not exist in the world uh, five years ago, right? And um, as you look at a global map, as we often like to do, to look at, um, you'll slowly see different places around the world start to adopt ride sharing regulations. You'll start to see different places of the world start slowly. Figuring out ways to actually regulate this industry in a way that's beneficial to both the government, uh, to the incumbents, as well as the the riders and the drivers and the consumers. Um, so I, I would I think that Taiwan in general has continued to uh, you know strive to become this uh, place that's actually technology friendly, and um, we're hoping that you know during this process uh, we're able to see you know an actual implementation. The the details don't are very country to country. So it's not like every different countries have an exact model in terms of how to regulate it. But as long as you can go back to those three principles, protecting consumer choice, protecting safety, and protecting the rights of drivers, um, we're very, very willing to actually work with the Taiwanese government to, to find a very sensible solution. And they've said that they're hoping to work with you as well. Uh, you you kind of get a little bit of mixed comments, actually, from the Ministry of Transportation and Commerce. Sometimes they take a little bit harder of a line saying, you know, uh, Uber's place in the economy could only be this, this, and this. Other times saying, no, we're happy for them to provide taxi services. Uh, we just need to make sure that they're doing it under the current regulations. So uh, a little bit of a mixed bag there. Um, but let's actually look at the sorts of regulations that you would need to figure out uh, in order to work within Taiwan's framework and I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to apologize to our listeners in advance. This might be getting a little bit into the weeds, but uh, I think that it's important to look at the specifics here. Um, so um, among the issues that uh, you have to deal with uh, that are outstanding issues would uh, be the licensing issue. Uh, you know, obviously, taxi drivers, they need to test very difficult tests. Uh, a lot of my taxi drivers complain about it all the time, uh, that they have to pass these tests to get uh, their licenses. Uh, that's really important. Uh, there's the insurance issue, uh, which uh, it sounds like uh, you've made a little bit of progress on, you know, making sure that the, the, uh, you, ha you have public, public transportation service. There's also taxes. Uh, a, a lot of the revenue that uh, Uber makes uh, in Taiwan is actually taxed in other countries, and uh, the uh, government is actually seeking back taxes. Um, and uh, the flexibility of pricing. Uh, obviously, there's a pretty rigid price structure that uh, yellow cabs are subject to, and Uber, your business model doesn't fit very neatly into that. Uh, among those issues, which would you say you're able to make progress on, and which would you say you think that Taiwan needs to find more flexibility on? I would say that I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that we can make progress on all of them, um, as long as the, the two sides kind of come to the table with the same kind of aligned interest. And, and you know, from our side, we believe that um, those three kind of principles that we just that I just talked about are, are really, really important to the overall development of the industry. So I think taking you know one example that you just uh, highlighted in, in terms of licensing. Um, 
you, you know, like you said, a lot of taxi drivers might complain of the fact that their licensing process is overly rigorous. And, um, and some might argue that that licensing process, that rigorous process, doesn't necessarily do what it's intended to do, which is provide safety or provide high quality, right? So um, how do you actually figure out a way to, uh, and I think the other thing is thinking about regulating or the licensing process of someone who actually drives 40 to 70 hours a week versus someone who drives 10 hours a week. Should those, those regulations be the same? Should that licensing process be the same? I think that um, is something that you know, we've seen, we've had a lot of conversations with a lot of different governments around the world. And what we found is if the whole idea of ride sharing is that people are able to take their vehicle and uh, use the additional time that they're not using this vehicle to give people a ride and earn additional income. So um, make, making sure that these people actually don't need to go through unnecessary friction and go and bear on unnecessary costs is, is actually very, very paramount to uh, the success of the overall industry. And that's the spirit of the industry is just people being able to you know quickly and easily share their vehicle. Um, and of course, we want to do that in a safe manner, right? So, you know, for instance, in, in Uber and Taiwan right now, uh, we make sure that any driver that comes onto our platform needs to uh, go through a criminal background check to make sure that he doesn't have any prior criminal records. Um, so I think, but I think going back to those three principles, as long as you're able to go into that safety, consumer choice, and driver rights component, I think the, uh, the, the way the, the industry or the way the, the overall uh, ride-sharing industry is regulated in Taiwan. I think that's the, that's the key question that we need to address. But just to be clear here, I mean, we wouldn't be talking about Uber fitting into the existing framework. You really are talking about, you think that the government needs to make some movement as well. You know, I would say the, 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 the decision that the Taiwanese government needs to make at this point is, you know, should you be looking at um, a new industry like ride-sharing or the overall sharing economy? You know, we have Airbnb, we have other, uh, other companies doing similar kind of sharing economy spaces. Should you be looking at these industries in traditional regulatory frameworks that were written 30, 40 years ago? Um, or should we be looking at potentially new regulations or adjusting current regulations to better fit the current economic model, right? I think everybody kind of understands that, you know, the business is always going to kind of go ahead of the overall regulatory development. And I think at this point, Taiwan is is a little bit at a crossroads in terms of determining how to actually look at this industry. So do I actually want to look into potentially developing new regulations to, to regulate new economies and new businesses? Or do I want to say these new economies, these new businesses have no place in our current system because they don't fit into existing regulations that were you know, written 30, 40 years ago? I think that's the big question that uh, the Taiwanese government needs to decide. What about taxes? Uh, obviously, the government feels that uh, you're currently not paying the taxes that you owe to the government. Uh, how do you get past that one? Yeah, I would say I think, you know, in general, it's it's a little bit of a sequential issue. So you need to have the proper regulations to have the proper, whether it be tax or insurance um, kind of systems in place. And I think Taiwan is actually making pretty good progress in terms of this front because uh, there is a, a bill underway uh, that is called, uh, you know, some call some around the world called the Netflix tax, which is uh, an ability to to tax uh, cross border e-commerce companies in Taiwan. And so for a company that is providing services to people in Taiwan, 
that is actually not registered in Taiwan or is actually has their, their main business overseas, they're able to quickly and easily register as a tax paying entity here in Taiwan. Um, and we're very much looking forward to it. And we actually have been in, in a lot of discussions with the, the Ministry of Finance uh, about this particular bill. And we're, we're very eager for um, you know, this bill to pass and then we're, that you know, Uber is able to take the, the right steps to comply. So you know, I think that is, is very much a work in progress and we're very, um, we're very eager again to, to, uh, to get a resolution on that. But I think the, the key question is still around how do you regulate the industry as a whole. Mm. So, so in general, though, you feel like uh, Uber could pay more of its revenue, uh, more of its revenue in Taiwan could be subject to taxes. You know, I, I think it comes down to the, the right kind of tax laws. Um, in order for a company to, to pay the, the appropriate taxes, they need to be able to, there needs to be a tax law behind it. And I think, you know, this cross-border e-commerce tax is a great example of, of that new development in, in tax industry actually being able to uh, help the the foreign companies that are doing business overseas comply to Taiwanese tax laws. So um, I think, you know, not just Uber, I think pl- uh, plenty of other uh, cross-border technology companies uh, will be welcome to the fact of being able to comply to these new regulations. All right. So the, the, the way that uh, we're kind of hearing about it here is it, it does sound like uh, you're fairly optimistic about working with the government. You feel like these are difficult conversations, but conversations that you can make progress on. Um, but at the same time, uh, it, it, it does seem to be the case that the, the government is taking out a hard line here. And uh, some folks uh, have really said that part of the reason that the government has reacted the way that it has uh, is because of the way that Uber uh, approached Taiwan in the first place. You know, uh, coming onto the scene in 2013, uh, claiming that it's uh, one kind of company that the government says, you know, no, you're actually a transportation company. Uh, a lot of people feel like they weren't consulted. A lot of people feel like uh, the, they weren't respected and the local regulations weren't respected. And so it, it does seem like uh, off to a bad start at the very least. Um, do, do you, what do you say to that sort of uh, criticism? Do you think there's any truth to that? I mean, I think, Keith, overall, the company is still a very young company. You know, people forget that we've been, you know, in existence for, you know, just a little bit over six years. So, you know, I think as the the company um, has continued to expand globally in other markets, I think that's something that is absolutely a learning curve that, you know, we've had to, to scale, which is better learning how to communicate with, you know, whether it be governments of different cultures, of different countries, um, under, better understanding the, the local regulations and actually how to, to best way to actually deal with these um, ambiguities, so to speak. So I think, you know, absolutely, I think, you know, when we first came into Taiwan, I think it was uh, a little bit of a learning curve uh, for the company. As I mentioned before, it was only our second market in Asia, right? Um, and Singapore is, is perhaps a little bit more international in, in that sense. So it was... It was absolutely, I think, as these past three years have gone by, I think we have learned a lot. Um, I think we are, are very, very much committed to communication with uh, various government officials. Um, we've been in, in countless, countless meetings. We've had plenty of, of uh, regional people come through to, uh, to show the fact that we, we value Taiwan as a market, to show that uh, Uber as a company feels like Taiwan is an important market that you know, we really want to continue to invest our resources in. So you know, whether it be because this issue is a, is a very complex issue that deals with many different uh, government entities, whether 
whether it be uh, the Ministry of Finance, the Department of Transportation, um, the the National Development Council, the Ministry of Economic Opportunity. There's there's just so many different uh, organizations and departments that we really need to to talk to. And of course, each of them have their own ideas around uh, how to, how best to deal with this issue, right? So figuring out how to balance those different priorities and diff- different pieces of advice and uh, figuring out the best way to to move forward as a company is something that we very much are, are still um, learning on. But I think, you know, we have made it, we have made a lot of progress in the past couple of years and we continue to, um, you know, be very optimistic and, and very open to uh, figuring out a, a kind of a swift resolution to this issue. So do, do you have like the people from the Ministry of Transportation on speed dial right now? Have you like built up kind of a rapport with, the, with these folks? Uh, w- w- what's the tenor of that relationship? Yeah, we've we've met uh, you know members of the Ministry of Transportation many many times, um, and through two different governments. So there have been a little bit of turnover, especially at you know some of the higher levels. And I think you know we have gotten different pieces of advice. And I think ultimately um, you know what we would like to to find is ability to actually help coordinate um, because it's, it's really not just uh, one department. It's the ability to actually coordinate the efforts of all these departments and actually get down into the room and actually really just sit down and hash these issues out and, and talk about the best way forward. Um, do they agree that they want to uh, protect the interests of consumers in terms of choice and safety? Do they agree that they would like to you know, think about ways to re- reform current regulations to better protect the interests of drivers? Because right now the, the drivers actually are a group of people that that really often get ignored, right? Whether it be uh, you know taxi drivers or whether it be uh, other drivers in other industries, um, generally their interests are are not really um, you know put into the spotlight. People don't really think about uh, you know protecting their rights and interests. Um, can we get into that dialogue where we align on those key principles and and move and uh, find a way forward? And we're more than happy. We've actually shared multiple multiple times to multiple departments about ways that we've been able to find a, a very win win solution in other markets and uh you know we're we're very we're looking forward to actually getting to that point in taiwan well that's an interesting thing that you just said there that uh you know the 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 rights of drivers are are something that need to be protected Uh, i wonder though if many of the drivers in taiwan would see uber as the company to do that obviously uh the yellow cab drivers have taken many opportunities to protest uber uh you yourself uh, personally are the uh, object of uh their attention the taipei city professional drivers union uh, filed charges against you for uh, what I, I'm reading here, violations of the Company Act. So uh, it seems like a bit of an antagonistic relationship there. Uh, the ca- uh, cab drivers that I've spoken with all seem to feel like, you know, it's basically an unfair playing field that they're being uh, forced to face, uh, given the fact that Uber uh, ha- has a relatively small tax burden and currently the uh, insurance is dealt with in a different way. Uh, so they feel like it's an unfair playing field. So I'm, I'm not sure that they would see Uber as the company to protect their rights. You know, I would say that I think, you know, as this industry has grown and as we've seen in other markets, um, you know, as you know, ride sharing gets regulated, drivers end up, you know, current incumbent drivers end up realizing that they actually have more options once this this industry becomes regulated. Right. Um, whereas previously, maybe they you know, were choosing between driving a taxi or driving a bus or, or driving a truck. Uh, they now have an additional option of driving their own vehicle and joining a platform like Uber or, or some other uh, platform around the world. So um, in that world where the actual platforms or the actual companies are competing for the time and vehicles of the drivers, 
that becomes a, more, a competitive situation for the drivers, right? And in that situation, the drivers are able to weigh the costs and benefits of joining each different type of profession or type of, of platform and ultimately decide which one better fits them, right? So, you know, some drivers might feel like, okay, I, I would like to be a taxi driver because I want to be able to pick people up off the streets. I'm okay with uh, changing my, my, ta- my car to a yellow color and installing a meter. But some other people might say, hey, I'm using this car um, normally for my, my day job, and I would like to drive um, a couple hours on the weekend to better support my family. And in this case, maybe Uber is a better choice. Um, so I, I think you know, ultimately having regulations will benefit uh, the overall driver group because they're able to have more choice in terms of which uh, platform, which industry they, they uh, ultimately put their time into. Now, just in general, for, for a lot of my friends uh, would, would dismiss a lot of these regulatory concerns as, oh, you know, that's just uh, the taxi industry being protectionist. You know, there, there's no sense in any of this. They're really just trying to uh, protect their bottom line. But uh, the other way to look at it, I mean, these, these regulations accrue over time. You say many of them are very old, but they, they're there for a reason in a lot of cases. You know, insurance that gets to safety, licensing that gets to competence, uh, taxation that gets to, you know, uh, supporting the government and all that. Uh, and with a, with a, a brash and, a, and a, a, at least an aggressive uh, strategy, I think it's fair to call it an aggressive strategy to jump onto the scenes, even when regulators are telling you that doing so is illegal. Um, I think that you could understand why many observers might have some concerns about uh, a company from another country coming in and, and really pushing all of these issues, uh, you know, re- reasonably hard. So, uh, you know, for folks out there that are trying to make up their minds of, is Uber the good guy? Uh, and are they really, you know, coming at this with the best of intentions? Uh, or are, are, are they really just going to try to squeeze these regulations to their logical conclusion to make a buck? Uh, and hurt Taiwan's industry and take out some of these protections that we value in the process. For those sorts of observers that are trying to make up their mind, what do you say to them? You know, I think the first thing is I would say, you know, speak to speak to the drivers who use the platform, speak to the riders who use the platform a lot. I think, um, to me at least personally, it's, it's pretty clear in terms of the positive impact that, uh, you know, the, the platform like Uber is bringing about Taiwan, whether it be from economic opportunity, whether it be from additional choice whether it be from improving uh, the overall safety or whether it be making Taiwan into a more innovative and, and uh, technology-friendly country in general. Um, I, I think those benefits to me are you know, quite obvious, but I think obviously if you speak to you know, the, the, the different riders and drivers who use the platform, I think they'll be able to tell you a similar type of story. Um, and I think you know, to your point about the, the regulations and the laws being there in, there in place for a reason, I think we absolutely agree with that, and I think we agree with the principles in which they were put in place. Uh, but I think the issue is that the world has changed in the past 30, 40 years in that ways that you might feel like will help protect consumer safety uh, may not be necessary anymore because of the advent of technology. You know, For instance, uh, on Uber's, Uber's overall platform, um, all of the information is tracked v- via GPS. All the driver information is online. All the uh, route uh, information is online so that no trip is anonymous. So, you know, in the case that there is any sort of incident that needs to be resolved, you know, Uber in many, many markets around the world and actually in Taiwan as well is able to work directly with, you know, the, the necessary departments, whether that be law enforcement, insurance agencies, um, et cetera. We're able to work directly with them to provide them with the right information that they need to actually get to a swift resolution, right? Um, whether it be the the identity of the people involved, whether it be the actual location time um, of the actual trip, 
all that information is was not necessary was not actually there or tracked um, 10, 20 years ago, because a lot of those trips were happening anonymously. Um, so I think, you know, with the advent of technology, and this is why the overall sharing economy has boomed in the past couple of years is because, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you would not, never have imagined to be staying at a stranger's house, right? Because that, that idea to you just felt unsafe. But now with the advent of technology, you see the fact that you're able to see ratings, previous uh, testimonials from other people who've stayed with them. You're able to see pictures. You're able to communicate them via phone. And, and that's why a company like Airbnb would continue to thrive around the world because there is that technology that is able to layer that level of trust to, to make people, two people um, that are interacting with each other, trust each other more. And I think with this technology calls for potential new regulations as well because um, with, with this technology, with this web of information, we, we need to go back and look at these regulations 10, 20 years ago that were written 10, 20 years ago to see you know, what things still make sense what things are subject to some adjustments and, and changes. And I think that ultimately is, is kind of where Taiwan needs to decide what it wants to do, whether or not it wants to th- go back and look at these things and um, think about the, the original principles that were guiding them when they were written and whether or not they still stand. Um, and ultimately, you know, I think as long as our interests in, in that aspect are aligned, um, you know, I think we'll be able to get to a, the, right, the right solution. So, of course, Uber is a very future-looking company. It's uh, something that uh, t- it's a company that has a, a vision of, uh, of improving services and improving uh, work you know, through technology and through innovative ways of doing business. So maybe we can just uh, talk a little bit about uh, your thoughts on the future of Taiwan's economy, Taiwan's industry, Taiwan's transportation. Uh, and, of course, uh, a lot of the folks in the more techie side of things, startup-y side of things in Taiwan, they're big boosters of Uber. Uh, you know, they w- make the argument that if Uber is uh, really locked out, uh, it-, it would shut the door on other forms of potential technological innovation. So I'm curious for your thoughts, what, what role does Uber play, uh, you know, if, if it is running legally and uh, competing along with uh, other industries in Taiwan? Uh, what kind of role does Uber play uh, in Taiwan's uh, technology, idea, modern economy? Yeah, I think, you know, as we've been here for a couple of years, I've had, you know, the pleasure of being able to interact with with many different startups, both uh, foreign technology companies who are looking to expand into Taiwan, uh, both big and small, as well as local tech startups here. And I think, you know, as, you know, for instance, this $25 million uh, bill fine has has, uh, come to light, you know, many of them have asked me saying, hey, is this thing for real? Is this thing actually going to pass? And they became, you know, very worried, even though, you know, they may not be directly impacted by this bill. And, you know, as I've had those conversations with them, you know, that one, one thing kind of became clear to them, to me, which was, you know, they were seeing this as a point of reference for, for their industry, right? They were seeing this as a point of reference as to how Taiwan is able to deal with, you know, these kind of situations where, you know, the existing regulations don't necessarily apply to, to new technologies. And actually, are they looking into a way to, to you know, proactively adjust the regulations or proactively uh, deal with these regulations so that, you know, we're able to better fit these new industries or shut them out? Right. And I think, you know, to them, they can potentially see a future in which if, you know, these regulate this twenty five dollar million million dollar bill passes, um, they may see the a future in which their industry or their development or their progress might be regulated out of existence as well. And, uh, you know, they're very they're very concerned and they're very worried because I think there's a, the reason why they decide to, to be in Taiwan um, is because they believe in the talent. They believe in the, the overall uh, market potential of Taiwan as a whole, 
And um, as long as they, they feel like as long as the government is able to provide them with the proper regulatory framework and proper regulatory environment, um, they'll be able to shine and succeed and, and even take their, their talents uh, globally or regionally. Um, you know, I think Taiwan feels very, very strongly about that. And I've seen the, the startup industry in Taiwan actually really flourish in the past couple of years. Um, but, you know, if it if it if the, the government is not able to create the right type of uh, environment for these uh, startups to thrive and compete with each other, um, then I'm afraid that it's possible that these, these, these talent or these companies might decide to take their um, talents overseas and, and take their talents to other markets where they feel like it has, it has potentially a more friendly environment. So I, I really think that um, you know, we are at a crossroads right now in terms of the overall development of the industry. Mm. Let's get a little bit even maybe more philosophical about uh, where this is all going. I mean, obviously, in the U.S., we just had a big election uh, that saw a a lot of resentment about uh, folks' abilities to move ahead in the economy, folks' abilities to get a job uh, that, you know, has work that they feel is meaningful and and, and, uh, they can prosper doing that work. Uh, And a lot of people point out that uh, in the model of economy that we see in Silicon Valley, for example, there's some big winners. There's some folks that do great in that economy. Uh, And then there's a lot of folks where their jobs just kind of disappear or they become worth a lot less money. uh, And so there's a lot of people that are just kind of left out of that economy. Um, And that's kind of the narrative that we see uh, in the U.S. uh, And I think that uh, for folks trying to assess Companies like Uber, companies uh, like Airbnb, where you know some folks are obviously at the middle of uh, some great innovation, and they're they're going to be doing just fine. And obviously, it helps consumers, uh, but it also takes away good-paying jobs from a lot of folks. Uh, that's kind of the the narrative that's come out. That's kind of the choice that a lot of people frame it as. Do you feel like that's an unfair choice, or what would you add to that? You know, I, I think we do need to be thoughtful, and and I think. As you alluded to, I think in the previous election, um, you know, surprising results for for some. Um, I think we do need to be thoughtful in the way that um, as for some. Did you have a crystal ball? <laughs> I know I had uh, no um, no. I, I was quite surprised myself. But you know, I would say that uh, you know I think we do need to be thoughtful in the way uh, technology is impacting people's lives as is actually developing around around the world. I think that, you know, generally we, we've seen technology be able to help people, um, you know, in the in the past, you know, five, ten years. For instance, I think, you know, taking one example, uh, YouTube, uh, you know, before its, its existence, no one thought that you would be able to uh, make a few videos um, yourself in, in the comfort of your own home and, you know, make a couple hundred thousand dollars if you were this, you know, viral sensational hit online, right? And so that's that created more you know, new economic opportunities for people as well. So um, the, having that platform, you know, might be able to, to level the playing field to actually for a lot of people. You're pitching the wrong guy on this. I work at a, at a radio station. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's where our industry is going down the tubes. Well, I, I think, you know, for uh, innovative radio stations like ICRT, you know, you're able to, you know, branch out to, you know, social media and online streaming uh, ways in ways to actually reach, you know, kind of new audiences, right? I forgot my camera. Oops. <laughs> so, you know, I would say uh, overall, I think technology should be helping people earn more economic opportunities, but there are going to be people potentially that are going to be, uh, you know, very adversely affected affected by this advent of technology. And we need to be more thoughtful in figuring out ways to actually transition these people into new industries as well, so that um, their, their current livelihood, their, their current economic opportunity are not 
you know, severely affected. And I think that's, you know, both the the responsibility of the, the government as well as these industries um, that are pushing this the envelope on these new technologies. All right. Uh, I'm going to let you have the final word here. Uh, just, you know, five years, 10 years down the road, if uh, things go the way that you want them to go and you're, you're able to work with regulators the way that you want to work with, uh, what does uh, transportation in Taiwan look like and what is Uber's role in that? You know, I, I think the the overall vision for for us is continue to make Taiwan into kind of a smart technology and smart transportation industry. Um, and I think actually many many government units uh, within Taiwan are actually thinking about that. You hear the word uh, smart city uh, thrown around quite often, and I think so that you know for sure is an aspiration uh, for the overall Taiwanese government. And I think we have a a pretty good role to play in that. Right? Um, you know, transportation is is a very big part of the fabric that weaves together a city um, and being able to track a lot of that data, being able to, to be, make the city more efficient, being able to design um, transportation nodes and roads in, in a way that actually is able to let people get around the city more efficiently. Uh, you know, we have uh, this service called Uber Pool in other places that's able to, you know, match people up who have similar routes in real time. You know, that could potentially reduce the number of cars on the road. I, I think all those things could actually make Taipei and, and other cities in Taiwan into more livable and smarter cities. And I think ultimately that's uh, what we want to do. We, we, you know, we are a foreign company, but our team here is, is very much comprised of all Taiwanese people. And we all care deeply about the overall development of Taiwan. And I think we want to strive to make all the Taiwanese cities um, in Taiwan into smarter, more efficient, more convenient, uh, and more affordable cities. Uh, actually, I lied. Final, final question, just because I want to get your thoughts uh, on your talks with the government. Obviously, uh, like we said before last week, uh, disappointing news for Uber. Uh, what do you think is the path forward with regulators? Uh, yeah, is, is there a tipping point where if they really do follow through with these fines that Uber is just going to have to close up shop and leave? Or, or is there still a path forward to talk things out? Yeah, we're really hoping that, you know, the overall government, whether it be, you know, the the governing units or the legislators themselves um, would, would start to will start to see and hear the voices of the people who, who feel like this is something that Taiwan needs and Taiwan wants. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, uh, there are other sharing economy players uh, in Taiwan. There's actually an association called the Sharing Economy uh, Internet Association uh, called SIA, and they've started a petition to actually figure out a way to, to regulate ride sharing. And so far, 50,000 people have signed that petition. So, you know, there are a lot of people out there who feel like this is something that need, they, they need, and they feel like they're calling for the government to create the right type of regulation to regulate it so that they can continue to use it. Um, so, you know, in this current status, we, you know, we don't want to necessarily speculate on, on uh, potential results going forward. But, you know, we really feel like um, we're really hoping that the, the government and the legislators are able to hear uh, the people, the voices of the people and the drivers and riders and say, hey, this is something that uh, we want to stay in Taiwan. We want something to this, for this service to continue to be used in Taiwan. And uh, please help us in, in creating the proper regulations uh, to, to regulate it and help uh, this industry continue to flourish. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to have to wrap things up. We have been speaking today to the general manager of Uber Taiwan, Lee Kai-gu. Uh, Lee Kai, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thanks a lot, Keith. Thanks for listening to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. Taiwan Talk, of course, broadcasts every Monday on ICRT FM 100 right here in Taiwan. Uh, you can find that at 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. Uh, right after the top of the hour newscasts. 
You can, of course, also find the extended podcast versions of these interviews, which is the version you were just listening to right here, uh, on the ICRT website, on iTunes, a couple of other places. That's where to find that. Uh, Before I go, just want to let our listeners know that uh, if you really want to dig even deeper into the Uber controversy here in Taiwan, a great article to read would be Taiwan's Continuing Uber Controversy uh, by a journalist by the name of Matthew Fulco. Hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. If I'm not, I apologize. Uh, Anyway, that article can be found at the NewsLens International Edition, linked to it in our blog. Uh, He really took the time to lay out all of the issues that we uh, discussed today in even more detail uh, and and, and just dig uh, very deeply into uh, some of the regulatory issues that they're facing, some of the uh, economic issues that Taiwan is facing, and kind of just synthesize that all uh, in a way that I found uh, very easy to di- digest. So uh, thank you, Matthew Folko, for that, and I uh, recommend it to any of our listeners interested in this issue. For us, though, that's going to be it for today. We're going to have to sign off here for Taiwan Talk and ICRT. I'm Keith Manconi. See you next time.